Hi, everybody, and welcome to Brokerage Insider, the podcast where we interview the leaders in real estate and technology. This week, we are doing again, Sign of the Times. We got some great feedback on it last week about chit-chatting about the, the news that happened this week and our take on it. And so we thought we would keep doing this, but it is a holiday weekend, Brit. And my guest is live watching on Facebook right now. We've got all of four people probably that are gonna be watching this. So hopefully we get more people watching it on the uh, the recast or on the, the replay of it. And of course you can always download this episode via our podcast as well. But Brit, wow, what a crazy week it's been this week, right? Big week gearing up for uh, for a long weekend. Never bad going into a three-day weekend. We've got a little bit of rain expecting here in Denver. That's about it. But you've kind of had a bigger week from what I understand. Uh, you just got back from somewhere, Eric. Where have you been? It was the first in-person event since the same event last year. That is the Leading Real Estate Companies of the World Annual Conference Tribus is a sponsor, a uh, was a sponsor of that event. We're also a leading RE Solutions Group member. But man, I, I was out there uh, for a few days this week. I will tell you, it was my first time also getting on a plane and coming from somebody who did seventy five thousand uh, all domestic miles in twenty nineteen, going to ten thousand all done between uh, January and February, essentially last year, and then and then not having an event. I got to say, I was out of practice. And, and this was, I think this was the commentary amongst lots of the folks that were there that are regulars to the, to the scene is everybody's like, oh man, I, I, I forgot my chapstick. It's dry in Vegas or, or I forgot this. I forgot that, you know, oh man, I, I totally forgot that the conference center at the Wynn Hotel is two miles away from the hotel. And I had a, a few folks, a few ladies mentioned that they forgot to bring their flats with them. We're doing that two mile walk back and forth to the, to the conference. So yeah, it was, it was great to see everybody back in person though. Great to see a lot of our leading RE clients and uh, to get a chance to chat with them. Great to talk to some of our integration partners that were out there. Yeah, it was just, it was, it was great to see people again shake hands with people again, hug people again. And, and uh, Leading RE sure did it right. They uh, they allowed people to select whether they had been vaccinated, whether they were comfortable shaking hands or not. And everybody's badges, it was green, red, or yellow based upon what your comfort level with, with shaking hands with people were or, or you know getting near or being socially distanced from people. And I'll tell you, Britt, I was shocked. I think I saw only about 10 people that didn't have green on their badges out of about 400, I'd say 400 people that were there. Everybody else was green. So it was great to see that everybody's is getting back. They, they got vaccinated. They're ready to, to connect up and have that in-person engagement again. I was going to say, you know, vaccination and, and I'm not saying we can ever really put this behind us, but let's talk about the conference. Like what was the content like? Was it, I mean, were people, I mean, we've got speakers who I think have just been dying to get back into that arena and share. What was the, what was the content like? What was the kind of the general message uh, of leading RE this year? I think, you know, the, the general message was we're back. You know, if you're the first event back, you kind of get to go and make that your, your entire process. But yeah, I think it was, Hey, real estate was strong and, and let's get a chance to build on that network. Leading RE has, a, has a great network of brokers all around the world. They actually have an event already planned that they're going to do in Dubai later on this year to give you an idea of how, 
how spread out that their network is. But yeah, I think it was a lot about just like, let's bring people back together. Let's celebrate the crazy year that was. Let's celebrate the brokers that are here. The vast majority of them, which had epic years, I heard, you know, up 30%, up 20%. And these are brokers that do tons of business already and still had an epic year. So I think I think that was the, the overall gist of the event is let's get everybody back together again. And from there, there was... You know, the, the difference of, of content that I heard was mostly around, there was, you know, how do you handle learnings from, from the past year, right? Like this broker did this in this crisis and this broker did that to, to work on the business instead of in the business. They worked on workflows and, and, and streamlining that entire process of how they do things and figuring out where that they had, you know, extra folks maybe, and, and were able to repurpose them to other parts of the business by by streamlining their their transactional workflows. So that's pretty much what I heard from a content perspective. But I, I think it was really, you know, I think everybody was just really happy to just get together and, and, and go have a glass of wine together. I will tell you, it was probably 95 degrees outside and the expo was outside, which was a new one this year, I'll tell you. And, and when I first got there, I thought to myself, oh no, nobody's gonna show up. It's 95 in Vegas in May and uh, nobody's, nobody's gonna show up here. But sure enough, you know, they came out in droves and, and I think nearly everybody came out that was there at the event came out to the expo and, and just wanted to say hi to, to vendors and, and to, to friends and, and, and came out and got their free beverage or two, right? Yeah. So celebrate that interaction. And you had said something, you know, a lot of these brokers who had these record years last year, right? And I think that that has been advertised. I think, you know, we've talked about that and every publication um, has talked about real estate being this guiding light which I think goes straight into this first headline that I wanted to talk with you about, about NAR membership increasing last year and the, this, this housing market that is dominating every single news cycle in a good way for the brokers, in a bad way for the, for the competitive buyers, but you know, all in all, boosting that NAR membership and getting people are paying attention to real estate, be that because it's you know, obviously in the news cycle so much, I think there's television shows that are, you know, obviously fueling this popularity, but I mean, what do you think it is that, that drives people to, to want to get into real estate at these very polarizing times? Like what, what is that? What, what, what is, what is feeding that? So, I mean, a, everybody saw, Hey, real estate is, a, I think the biggest driver is everybody looked at real estate last year and everybody saw, well, wait a minute. Every other industry has this problem, this problem, this problem, but real estate's the standout. I mean, it was the news story for how long of how good the real estate market was doing, right? And so I think anytime that happens, by, by nature of this industry, you're going to find people that jump in and and uh, try to take advantage of, of making, making some faster money, being that it's e you know supposedly easy to get into real estate and start selling it. But I, I think too is I think you know folks that were planning on getting out and retiring last year, my guess is that they probably didn't. And so you know from from a from a perspective of of NAR and how it works is you know there's there's people that come in, but there's lots of people that go out every year. Too. And I think the biggest thing that happened is we just didn't see a lot of those retirements. And I think those, the folks are, are making hay while the sun's shining. I, that's the, I think that's the fourth time I've said that this week, but I think that's exactly what the, what the situation is, is I think the folks that might've otherwise planned on getting out of the business said, wait a minute, I'll work one more year or maybe two more years and, and see how it goes. So I, I think NAR came out yesterday. I haven't had a chance to look because I was on a plane, but NAR came out yesterday with the uh, member profile 
And so it'll be interesting to see what the average age uh, was and see if my, my hypothesis there is correct. But I don't know. You, I mean, you talk to more agents and, and brokers on a daily basis than I do sometimes. So have you heard or, or seen anything like this with, with uh, them recruiting new folks to the business? Uh, I think not so much with recruiting, but, you know, I've talked to a lot of our new agents and I feel like a lot of, a lot of the people that we are working with are very new to this industry. And I'm just going to jump back to something you said that seems to be a common theme. So many of the people that we've talked to on this podcast uh, have said that, but what you just said, you said, it's easy to get into real estate and start selling. The thing about that statement is I think 50% is correct. It's easy to get into real estate. It's that start selling part where everyone is encountering problems right now. Right. And the thing that I think about is like with all of these more agents or, or, or potential agents or prospects, they want to get into this industry, there is less inventory than there has ever been, which means there's even more agents fighting over less opportunities, just increasing that competition and making it that much harder. So whereas I think, you know, this is great uh, for NAR and, and, and love industry and the, and the industry, you know, building. I also, you know, look at a lot of these agents who've been in for 25 years and, you know, they're, they're seeing more competition come at it and an even tighter market. And so I just wonder what they're kind of going through and what they think of this, you know, th this influx suddenly. So either way, I, you know, I comment. Think let's, let's hopefully we get some comments on here on, on our Facebook live or, you know, shoot, shoot us a message, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I hear a lot of the, the same thing. It's tough. I mean, we're, I'm going to be having dinner with a realtor friend of mine tonight. And I know for a fact, she had one client that they wrote 11 offers on 11 different properties. And folks, they were not writing offers for under uh, listing, uh, listing price. They were all over listing price and not one of them got accepted. And that actually probably leads a little bit into our next topic to talk about, which is 51% of all transactions that closed in May, according to Redfin, 51% closed above asking price, which sets an absolute new record, a high new record that's there. So 51% of all homes sold in May went above asking price, which is just crazy to me. As a negotiator, I, I'm not sure I could ever pay over asking price for something. <laughs> I mean, what is that? I, I don't even know how to fathom that. Right. Like, I mean, you, you list your home at a, at a number that you want to get, I assume like agents are, you know, they're thinking about their commissions they're thinking about the business they're thinking about the neighborhood, the value, the whole market. And it kind of seems like they know that whatever they're going to list it at, it's going to go for over asking and maybe even without an appraisal, which is so mind blowing to me to think yeah. about when you're making that investment. I mean, how can you even guide, how are you recommending to somebody to pay for a home that's worth more or pay more for a home than it's worth while your obligation is to get them the best deal possible. I mean, it's just seems so many contradicting factors there. Well, I think you have to go into that believing that the market's going to continue to do what it's doing. And, and I will say, like, I, I think we've seen markets like this before, but nothing, I mean, oh, oh, five, oh, six, but nothing as crazy as this, where it's, you know, it's not $5,000 over list price. It's $50,000 over list price, right? I, I, in one of the Facebook groups in the uh, Lab Code Agents group, I saw somebody talking about how every single home that they were putting offers on, the listing agent would call and say, by the way, you know, just plan that you're, if you're going to make an offer, it needs to be for more, at least a hundred thousand over asking price. It's just, it's just crazy to me to even think about as a, as a guy who, when I sold real estate 20 something years ago, my average price, when I first started selling real estate was a hundred 
$517,000. And the last year I sold real estate before I, I really became a broker, I represented investors and my average price was $62,000. Although we sold a hundred and something homes, it was still $62,000. And thinking about this, where the these the offers are $100,000 over asking price, it's just, it's crazy uh, to me, but I get it. I, I, I see the demand and, and remember the value of housing and the value of anything out there every single day, it's always just based on demand, right? So if, if there's enough people that want something and there's a light supply of it, they're going to go up in price. Same thing's going on in the car industry. I don't know if you've seen this, Britt, but in the used car industry, prices of used cars, you could uh, buy a car last year and sell it this year with five or 10,000 miles on it for more money than you bought it for last year because there's such a demand for used cars and there's just no used cars. And then new cars, they're not making them enough, enough of them fast enough. One, because of the pandemic last year, but two, I don't know if you've heard, there's a chip shortage and now every car, you know, has uh, multiple computer systems inside of it. And they, Ford just shut down this past week, one of their plants because they didn't have chips to finish out any of the cars. So they said, Hey, we're just going to stop production for a while. So yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's all about supply and demand. And there's a lot of people looking to upgrade their houses right now. There's a lot of folks, the, the bigger one to me that I'm always surprised by is what percentage of transactions are cash transactions, full cash transactions. Not I wave my appraisal, but, but I came to closing with a half a million dollars. I'm always shocked by what percentage of the population buy, you know, can, has enough money sitting in a bank account somewhere to go and buy multi-million dollar houses completely for cash? I mean, I can't speak too, too much to that in the sense, I mean, I've read some articles about it, but one of the things I saw is, you know, because of the, what was happening with the stock market last year, there are a lot more cash buyers who are, you know, who, who are in that position. On top of that, you've also got, you know, our, the eye buyers of the world out there who are, gobbling homes up left and right. You know, we've talked a little bit about that, just where. That, I think that's a great entree to our next topic too. Right, right. What is it? Uh, which is Mr. Del Preeti. Yeah, going in and getting a gig, right? So if you guys don't know, if our, our listeners don't know, there's a, a guy that, I mean, he, if you want to know about iBuyers, Mike is the authority. And I mean, it is the singular, he is the singular authority. If it is something to know about any brokerage, tech forward brokerage, you know, the, some of these brokerages that, that are uh, out there like Compass that, that really push this concept of being, hey, we're a tech company, we're not a brokerage, or an iBuyer or a portal, Mike knows everything there is to know about these guys, reads all of their financial statements, knows how all their businesses work, comes up with charts and graphs and, and everything like that it can tell you exactly how much money they all lose per house that they buy on, on all of this. Mike's that guy. And I mean, he just knows his stuff backwards, forwards. I've seen him speak a few times. He's just, just excellent at, and puts out some really great white papers on all of this stuff. But, but this week, Mike went to an iBuyer and yeah. Mike got a, a gig at an iBuyer. Brent, tell well, us a little bit more about that. I'm not sure if Homeward are they necessarily an iBuyer? Are they helping? They're helping buyers make all cash offers. So I think that's you know that that might be the that that gray area in there, which is where I think you know his ability and his understanding and his deep knowledge of the industry is going to be really beneficial. And I and I'll also say like one of the things that I really love about everything that he's writing and everything that he puts out is he breaks it down into like sub layman's terms, right? He makes iBuying very consumable for 
for the layman. And I think that's really important because the, the Zillows, the, the open doors, you know, they are, they seem like these, these giant behemoths, but their business models are, you know, very easily understandable. I think, you know, thank you. Thanks to Mike and what he's doing out there. Homeward, I don't really know as much about it. I did see that they just raised, I think, yeah, 300 million if I saw it correctly, right? Pardon? I said $300 million. Yeah, a little, little over. Yeah, I think 370. And so, and I saw him, you know, Mike posted about it on LinkedIn about being an advisor there. And I think that is, you know, what a what a great opportunity for Homer to, to get the, the most forward thinking person in the industry in it. So kudos to kudos to Mike. I'm excited to see what Homer is going to do moving forward as we kind of follow and track that story. And, and I think what they're trying to do is what, for those of our listeners that tuned in last week, we had on Opendoor, their director of brokerage strategy and growth, a friend of mine, Tyler Hickson, and you know they launched early this year, they launched the cash buyer program too. And the whole idea was that you could go buy something with a cash backed offer, and then their mortgage company would finance you. And if they couldn't, you could stay in the house for a while for whatever reason, if something happened and you lost your job or, or, or something else happens, you could stay in the house for a while and then, then you know you might have to vacate, but you would at least get into the house if they approved you. And then in the meantime, you could sell your home to open door. But the idea was that they were getting you to use their ancillary services, which is where they were making up money, right? So they, they make money on the mortgage. They make money on the cash backed offer. They make money on the title service if you use uh, open door title. And I, th- I think that's the direction from what Homeward is going is that you can, you can make this cash backed offer that that's kind of inside of the brokerage and, and allows them to, you know, make a better, stronger offer essentially. Now the question mark that I'd have for Mike, if, if he ever had five minutes, you know, he's a, he's a crazy busy guy and I hope we can get him on the, sh- the show sometime, but it seems like every time we try to try to get him on, he's got 47 things that he's already committed to for the month, but I'd love to get Mike on it and, and ask him about a, a few different things. But one of them is in a market like we're in today, where there's cash backed offers, going back to our last topic, how does the cash backed offer working with the in-house mortgage, how do they support the concept of, hey, the home went under contract for 50 grand more than, than what it was listed for? And then the appraisal might come in low. Like what happens in those circumstances? I'm sure they have something in their language that says, hey, we'll only support this up to an appraisal price. It has to be, right? I guess. (laughs) Who who knows? Um, I mean, you're going to miss out on 51% of the homes if, if that's the case. Well, you know, remember, but just because it goes over asking price doesn't mean it won't appraise, right? And and funny enough, at my dinner that I'm going to tonight, and I, hey, maybe I can get him to come on the show. Appraisers are notorious for not wanting to get onto podcasts and, and on Zoom calls and video calls and things like that. But I'm actually also going to be at dinner tonight, all the vaccinated, everything like that. So don't worry for, for those listeners. You know, I've, I've got my card. Trust me, I, I carried it everywhere around with me in Vegas, proudly to show that it was safe to shake my hand if if. if folks felt comfortable doing so, but I'm going to have dinner with an appraiser tonight too. And uh, he's done some high percentage of the appraisals. His appraiser uh, firm has done a high percentage of appraisals uh, down here. And so I'm going to ask him a couple questions about that. Uh, and if anybody has a good idea for a question, feel free to put it into the chat and I can, 
I can bring it up to him. And maybe I, after I get a glass of wine, of wine or two into him, I'll, I'll, I'll get some real facts and figures on, on how this science and art of, of appraisals works. But, but going on that point, something we should talk to him or somebody else about sometime is there's a lack of appraisers, right? There's, there's not enough appraisers for all the appraisal work. One of the things that I'm hearing is it's taking a month to get an appraisal done. And they're starting to charge seven, eight, nine hundred bucks for an appraisal, uh, which <laughs> seems crazy to me for for appraisals. Usually, in back in the day, and I'm from St. Louis, but back in the day, they were two two hundred bucks, three hundred bucks, right? Now we're talking a thousand, closing in a thousand dollars for appraisal because there's so much demand and there's not enough people that have appraisals. But to round out the topic, because I know we're out of time here going into a holiday weekend, to round out the show, we talked a little bit about the number of members coming into NAR. Mm -hmm. And if you're a frequent listener of the show, you know that all every single CEO that has been on the show of any brokerage out there, when we ask them the question that I ask all of my guests on the show is, if you could change one thing about real estate, what would it be? And every single one of them said, make it harder to get into real estate. And, and I, my take on it is a little bit different. And, and so just to close out the show here, I actually believe in the appraiser model for doing this, right? We have, they don't have enough. We have a whole bunch of realtors. Think about this folks, one in 250 people in this country, total people, not just working age people, total people is a realtor not a real estate agent, a realtor, right? If you go to realtor, if you go to real estate agent, you're talking more like one in every 200 to one in every 180 people right. in this country are a real estate agent, right? So imagine, and the, this concept that I've pushed for 15 years in this industry, and we're going to do a summit about this later on uh, this year, sp sponsored by Travis. But what we're going to do is get the, get CEOs and things like that together. But my take on it, is I think we need, just like the appraisal world, an apprenticeship program. So, you know, Britt, I don't know if you know this, but to become an appraiser, you have to do a number of appraisal appraisals as a junior appraiser mm -hmm. underneath a senior appraiser. Mm -hmm. And that person is responsible for you, has to sign off that you've done a good job on the appraisal and their name and your name are both on the appraisal together. So he, they have responsibility that's in there too. Obviously they collect a portion of the fee for being the responsible party. Right. Uh, but then that junior person gets the training and the apprenticeship they need to know how to do a really good job. And then they can go off and do their own thing or work as a junior, you know, work underneath this, this more senior level person down the road or however they want to do it. Mm -hmm. So to me, I don't understand why if I'm out of real estate school on day one, I should, how can I possibly represent somebody well on a transaction, right? So my take is let's, let's take the appraisal model where you've got to do 50, 75, hundred, hundred appraisals underneath somebody else. And then you can, you can decide to go out on your own. I think that'll be a great point to bring up when we finally do have this summit. I also know based on all of the guests that we've had, that summit panel is probably going to be pretty big. I'm talking like a full round table, which will be a great representation of, of how many real estate agents and realtors there are in this country. We're going to need as much representation as possible. But like you said, Eric, we're, we're going into a holiday weekend. Why don't you take us out? Let's, let's get to it. Well, everybody have a great Memorial Day weekend. Uh, don't forget the, what the holiday is for. I'm always really big on, on taking a moment and always remembering what each holiday is for and what it stands for. And so 
being Memorial Day weekend, you know, what we're, what the, the, the point of the holiday is, is, is we're honoring those that have passed protecting our freedom. Right. And so, you know, take a moment, remember those in your life or, you know, grandparents, parents, kids, unfortunately, everything like that. Remember those that have, have died for our sacrifice and let's honor that sacrifice every single day of our lives. Thanks, Eric. With that said, have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend and everybody out there. Look forward to talking and seeing y'all soon. Bye guys.